can be dismissed to the back row tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, I've really enjoyed the last uh, couple months. This is uh, week number 10. We're finishing our series, the book of James. It's called The Word to the Wise. We've been doing a verse-by-verse look. James is called by some the gospel in shoe leather, arguably one of the most practical books of all the New Testament. You just read a portion. It just tells you how to integrate it into your life. Uh, and there's been a simple message that I've tried to communicate through this entire book. It is a book of wisdom, but wise people simply apply God's Word to everyday decisions. And how many know when we apply God's Word to our family, to our business, to our home, to our finances, how many know life just works better? If we live God's way, life will work better. And James is just filled with, with so much. James is not necessarily dealing with a, a lot of problems. For example, if you read the books of Corinthians, it seems like there's one problem after another after another. Some of the problems are not with us today. Some of them are. Uh, some books of the Bible are history. Some books of the Bible seems like uh, they're kind of like rules and commandments. But James is just real practical, and I've really enjoyed uh, uh, doing it with you in the last few weeks. Now, the next two weeks, I'm going to endeavor to delve into the issues surrounding uh, this upcoming election. Uh, In no way will I tell you who to vote for. Uh, You're a grown adult. You can do what you choose. But I feel a conviction. Uh, You know, the Bible says, or actually Paul told the Ephesian elders, he said, I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, how many, would it be fair to say that God has an opinion about America's future and about the election? Would it be fair to say that the Bible speaks to us about the issues that politicians and and newscasters are talking about. Well, I believe it's my responsibility. My God-given, God will hold me accountable. Uh, What I'm going to endeavor to do is I'm going to teach you about principles from the Bible uh, that relate to what America's talking about today. And uh, if you're uncomfortable uh, hearing, you know, I... This week, uh, there was a, uh, one of the little community uh, threads on social media, and it was just filled with how churches shouldn't be involved in politics. Well, you know what's sad to me is the word politics has taken over moral issues that don't belong to the secular world that are, that are, uh, are the stewardship of God's people, morality. And uh, uh, that's, I mean, listen, that's uh, arguably every issue that they talk about in the election has some biblical root. I don't care if it's open borders. I don't care if it's the environment. I don't care if it's the economy, uh, whatever it may be, whether it's marriage. uh, Our nation is radically, radically changing. And I am going to do my best, and uh, I hope you'll be a part of that. And I will certainly do my best to separate personal opinion and not try to sway you to think like I think. I, I, what I want to do is hope all of us will think the way the Scripture thinks. Praise the Lord. So that's my intent. Uh, if that bothers you, what I just said, why don't you take off the next couple of weeks and uh, 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 look at some old sermons from the church and uh, sit in the coffee bar, and I'll, I'll buy you a couple of cappuccinos. How about that? Okay, last week we talked about uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. This week uh, we're going to close with James. It's about 10 verses, and I'm actually going to deal with four subjects. Uh, Three of them I'll deal with very quickly because I I feel to touch on them. One of them has to do with truthfulness, personal integrity, and taking oaths or vows. Uh, The second one is, it's really interesting, but it, it talks about what to do when we're in trouble and what to do when we're happy. 
the heart of my message today, what we spend most of the time to, uh, today, will be dealing with what to do when we're sick. What does the Bible teach about divine healing? And the last verse of the book of James, helping backslidden believers find their way back to God. So three of those uh, we'll go through pretty quick, but the one on sickness, I want to I develop a theology uh, with you and hopefully to, to build your faith when it comes to sickness. Uh, let, let's begin in verse 12, James chapter 5, verse 12. And stuck in that verse, remember we talked about second coming last week, and then he says this, above all, my brothers and sisters. Now, that word above all, it's a little misleading. It's not, it does not mean that this is the most important thing that I've said in the entire epistle. Uh, actually, it's kind of an awkwardness in the translation from Greek to English. It literally means before everything else, and properly is best understood as, in the last section of my letter, let me tell you this. And here's what he says. It's a transitional verse, and it stands alone. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not swear or do not take oaths, synonymous words, by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to do is say a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Now that's a strong kind of, oh, God's going to condemn me if I, if I take oaths, particularly in his name. So what in the world does this mean? Swearing does not refer to profanity. Although, how many can say we shouldn't swear? <laughs> I mean, we should avoid evil conversation. But it's not profanity. But it talks about making an oath, and in particular, or swearing by invoking God's name to guarantee the reliability of what we're going to say. Okay? In other words, how many, how many have ever heard, or perhaps you've said, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. I swear to God, I'm not lying. Are you going to pay me this money? I swear to God, I'm going to pay it now. I'm gonna, I swear to God. This is what he's talking about. Uh, the, the, the heart of this is the main issue is personal integrity. We should simply tell the truth and our words, our, our yes should be yes, our no should be no, and we wouldn't have to underscore it with a, 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 a swear and, you know, pinky or whatever you, whatever you used to do when you were a kid. Um, uh, our words should be enough. We shouldn't need an oath. You shouldn't need to say, I swear on my mama's grave. I swear on my mama's eyeballs, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you, you know, the lawnmower back that I borrowed from you. This, James just says, don't, don't do that. But, but in particular, and Jesus even referenced this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In particular, Jesus said, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the altar. Let your yes be yes and your, your no be no. Now, having said that, the Bible is filled with people that take oaths or make promises. But they're not making them, you know, swearing on mama's eyeballs or in particularly using God's name. But the Bible is filled with people that make promises. And the Bible doesn't forbid us making a promise or giving our word. It simply demands that we're true to the oath that we're taking. Okay? So that we're simply true to, uh, to what we say. So here we go. Uh, James, look at verse 13. What do we do when we're in trouble or happy? And you say, well, that's easy. When I'm in trouble, I freak out, I get stressed, I, you know, I eat. Uh, when I'm happy, I don't have to do any of that, I just have fun. Well, there's a little bit more to it. That was kind of a joke, okay? It was just kind of meant to just get out there. But uh, here's what James says. Is anyone among you in trouble, let him? Okay, well, doesn't that just seem overly simplistic? Doesn't that seem something like your kindergartner would say? Uh, is anyone happy? What do you do? Sing songs of praise. 
Let's explore it just a little little bit. If you're in trouble, this is any kind of trouble, persecution, financial trouble, uh, relationships are in trouble, sickness. How many know trouble is pretty much a part of this world? Didn't Jesus say in this world you'll have, yeah, you'll have tribulation in this world, but what? Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, James has talked about trials or troubles two other times. Let's kind of go back just a second. You remember when we started the book of James, it's the oddest verse, I think, in the whole book of James. But James says in James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, you would think James was drinking the sacramental wine when he said that. (laughs) Consider it joy when you face trials because the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance is the capacity to stand strong, to not give up, to keep on believing, keep on serving God. And what James is saying, every time your faith is tested, your, your roots go down a little bit deeper. It's just like a tree when the wind blows. I mean, you know, sometimes some trees just snap. Other trees, they, they tend to get stronger uh, a, a, as they experience winds that blow. But James says, consider it joy when you face trials, because when your faith is tested, it'll produce perseverance. Verse 4, though, this is an allow, or you let perseverance finish its work, so you may be what? Mature, Mature and complete. So isn't it fair to say that you and I, oh, not me, but you need trials in your life. To grow spiritually. I mean, uh, I'd ask the question of how many people go to the gym and work out, but I'm not going to. But if you remember the days, you, yeah, you remember the days you used to go to the gym, you'd you pick up, and what it was doing is it was tearing your muscles, but in tearing your muscles, it was making them stronger. And that's what James says a trial has the potential to do. Uh, but his concern in the trial, you remember when he, when, when he said, if you're in trouble, let them pray. If you're happy, sing songs. So uh, his concern in the trial was to encourage us to endure problems with the right attitude. Okay, a little background. But our prayer is more than just asking God to take the trouble away. How many can say, real honestly, usually when I have a problem, I pray that God makes it go away as quick as possible. Now look at all the liars in the room today. But what James is really saying, look, when you're in something, know that God is with you. God has either caused it or is allowing it. And if he's allowing it, he's going to produce something strong in you. And that's the attitude that he wants to to, to do it. But notice that he said pray. Now, and this is what's important. Prayer is an act of humility that recognizes our need for God. Because here's... Here's the most frequent thing that people do when trouble comes. When, when trouble comes, don't we tend to rely on our own strength, our experience, our ability, and our resources? When something is going on in our world, the natural human response, and particularly if you've dealt with it before, you can do it again. If you've got the money, you can pay for it. You can figure it out. But what James is saying, don't just do it yourself. Face it depending on God. Whether it's little or whether it's big. And I will suggest to you that God will allow problems to come in your life in increasing frequency and increasing intensity until he gets you to this position. Because as long as we're just kind of like, we're the man, we got the, you know, the socks and the deal and the money, we're successful. Look at me, I drive a new truck. Look at me, I, 
I've, I've got it under control. Look at my 401k. I'm making good decisions. I mean, no pride goes before fall. And so this is the first thing he said. It's simple, but it's profound. When trouble comes, pray. Invite God in this situation. But look at the second part of it. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, how many would say it's, it's, it's easy to forget God when things are going good? Don't you pray differently when your cupboard's full and you got plenty of money in the bank than when you don't have anything to eat and when you don't have much money? James is saying, look, when things are going well, uh, don't forget God. Songs of praise recognize God as the source of all that's good. And worship is how we say thanks. I have been, I have been practicing something, and my wife will affirm to this. Uh, I start every day. When I get out of bed, I get on my knees. And every night when I go to bed, before I get in the bed, I get on my knees. And I say, Lord, I cannot do a thing without you. It's in you that I live and move and have my being. And I just want to affirm, Lord Jesus, that everything that I did, and I try at night before I get in my bed. This is not a real long time, but I try to rehearse the things that happened, that God allowed me to do, the things that God allowed me to experience, and to say thank you, recognizing the hand of God. This is simple, but it's profound. When things are going well, sing songs of praise. They recognize God as the source of all that's good. Psalm 92 said this, It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It's good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. In other words, in the morning there's a sense of faith. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know that you're a loving God, and I want to praise you because you're going to walk with me today. And at the end of the day, I give him praise for what he's done. I sing for joy because of what you've done. Can we just give him a hand right now? Because God is indeed good to us and kind in ways we could only imagine. All right, let's get to the heart of it, which, which I'll spend most of the time on tonight. It's verse 14. What do we do when we're sick? That's a good one. Here we go. Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So let the person call the elder. The elder is going to come and anoint them. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now I want you to underline that. I want you to underscore that as an anchor. As, a, as an object of our faith, as a confidence that we have, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And who will raise them up? The Lord. No, yeah, he didn't say the anointed elder, but he said the Lord will raise them up. And then he says something very interesting, and we're going to come back to most of this. If they have sinned, they'll be what? Is it possible the elder needs some discernment there? And is it possible that sin has perhaps opened the door to sickness? If they sin, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, look at verse 16. Now we're going to broaden from the elders to the whole body of believers' healing ministry. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Second time he spoke about the power of sin in connection with healing. Confess your sins to each other and then do what? Pray for each other so you may be healed. Okay? And then he gives us, uh, uh, well, he makes another statement. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, he didn't say anything about time, 
But he underscores the fact that when we're walking close to God, not only in the imputed righteousness of Christ, but when we're living a godly, holy life, there's power and our prayers have great, great power. And then he gives us an illustration to inspire us. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he did what? He prayed. Now there's the key. How many can say, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. Is it fair sometimes to say that when we see prayer requests on Facebook, that, that the prayer is just a quick little shot to heaven. Now, uh, that's better than nothing, but that's not an earnest prayer. Look, when I post something, I want you to quit scrolling, okay? I want you <laughs> yeah. An earnest prayer. He, Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, God was judging Israel. Remember the history of, of ancient Israel. God judged the nation. He didn't just do it arbitrarily on his own, but his prayer was like a railroad track in sync with the will of God. And then it didn't rain for three and a half years, but again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what's the gist of all of this? The gist of all of this is prayer has, has the potential to heal us when we're sick. Now, I want to I broaden our base a little bit. I want to give you a background. I want to answer two questions first. I want to answer why are people sick? And then I want to talk about divine or supernatural healing as being a part of New Testament Christianity, a part of the Scripture or the Bible. Uh, let, let's ask the question, basically, uh, why are people sick? Because if you look in your Bible, number one, how many know there's going to be no sickness in heaven? Yeah. Revelation teaches that very, uh, very clearly. Uh, there's no dying, no crying, no sickness, no pain. All the former things are passed away. How many know in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had no sickness? But then when sin entered the world, it's like that door. It, it, that Adam and Eve opened a door in the Garden of Eden and invited Satan to come in. And that's when sin, sickness, and death came into the world. Now, I'm going to suggest to you first broadly, and I'm going to give you four reasons why people are sick. But broadly, uh, sin came simply because of, uh, of the fall of man. And if you think about things like, like, like genetic defects, viruses, uh, bacteria, uh, uh, the, the weaknesses that we all have in our human body, uh, the propensities we inherited, uh, physical propensities from our, our family, maybe diabetes ran in the family line. There's a general curse on mankind and humanity that brings sickness and disease and evil into the world. And it's just out there. I mean, no babies, innocent little babies have done nothing wrong, but they get, they get ear infections. And it hurts. That little baby can't even say what's wrong, but they're just pulling their little ear, you know. I mean, you know what it's like, and they're crying, and they're hurting. Well, all this generally came because sin, uh, Satan is in the world. Now, let me say this. Some sickness, though, is not just generally a part of our world, like, like, like bacteria in the air, uh, but some sickness is a direct attack by Satan. And this is important to endeavor to discern. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. Jesus saw a woman who had been crippled by... Didn't say she had bad posture. Didn't say she fell or anything. But somehow this evil spirit was involved in a crippling disease. She'd been bent double for, what, 18 years and unable to stand up straight. And if she went to the doctor, the doctor would have a diagnosis. And it would be a physical diagnosis. 
Because modern science doesn't include God in it. We've got some godly physicians, uh, godly people in the medical field that we're very grateful for, and they see God's hand. But to the secularist, everything is, is natural. Everything is, it, there is nothing supernatural about it. But in her case, a demon was behind it. Look at verse 16. She's been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. I think this is important that, that in our discernment about, about sickness, if Satan is directly afflicting that person, we, we, don't want, we don't want to just go after the disease. We want to go after the one that's behind that disease in the name of Jesus. You know, our prayer has power not because we pray loud, but it's the power of the name of Jesus. That, that's the second reason why people are sick. Sometimes there's direct satanic attack. How many know Job's boils were not caused by whatever, a bacteria. Satan somehow unleashed a force against Job and Bulls. That's number two. Do you realize, though, that some sickness is our fault and it is God's judgment for our sin? Now, I'm not talking about eating cupcakes if you're a diabetic, okay? That's, that, that's a problem, but I'm not talking about that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, uh, we go to a communion service. And, and, and Paul says, uh, anyone who eats the bread and drinks the cup, symbolizing the what? The body and the blood of Christ without recognizing the body. Now, most scholars interpret that as, as the, the body of Christ. And the, the context, if you read chapter 11, you'll see that there were rich people in the church and poor people, and they would come together and have a meal their communion meal was not just like our last little COVID communion where we, you know, tore off a lever here and then ate something that tasted like cardboard and then we, you know, something that tasted like, you know, rancid cool. It was terrible. One, I mean, <laughs> but that's the best we can do right now in COVID. But, but it wasn't like that. They had a meal. And in their world, the rich people sat together. And I mean, they, they ate, as it were, with, with, with their silverware and everything. And there were some poor people that might have just had a piece of bread, and they split it between three people. And what, what happened, he, he went on to say this, and this is pretty scary. If you eat the bread and drink the cup without recognizing the, the body, you eat and drink judgment on yourselves. That's why many in your group are what? sick say it again sick sick weak and some of you have died now again the doctor could have a, a physical diagnosis of what's been unleashed against us but it but sin opened the door to it that's why I tell people frequently if they're battling something go before God and ask God God have I opened a door in some way is there something that I have allowed in my life, or am I just, or am I battling the devil, or is this just the general fall of life? So that's that's three things, and that's why. Remember in James what we read: uh, some illnesses are the product of sin. That's why James said this: confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so you may not, so you, uh, so you may be healed. Okay. Uh, the fourth reason people are sick, I, I'm just going to call it Adam's curse of death, affects us all. What did God say to Adam God, in the Garden of Eden? God said, the day that you eat, you will surely. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Did Jesus' death on the cross stop us from dying? Everybody's going to die. It's a part of what Adam gave to us. And I think it's a fair thing to say. Everybody dies because of some sickness. 
I mean, it could be a heart issue, clogged valves or whatever, or you could just be Mr. Perfect on exercise and eating, and you get to some stage of life, and all of a sudden your body just quits working. I think it's fair to say, you know, that could broadly be called sickness. So, so it's a part of our world that came because of the curse. But the great, great news is total and complete healing is going to happen when we get a new resurrection body. <laughs> Listen, we're not going to need Ben Gay in heaven. Praise the Lord. We're not going to need Tylenol in heaven. All this stuff is going to be gone. Well, that's kind of the yucky part. But let's, let's get into a good part now because I want to impress upon you that supernatural healing was a part of the fabric of the New Testament. That it was not just something relegated to yesterday. If we had time tonight, we would go into church history. If we had time tonight, we could see what's recorded in church history about people that have been healed beyond the apostolic era. If we had time, we could have multiple testimonies from people in the church tonight that have experienced healing. Praise the Lord. Uh, It's a a real deal. Uh, The most profound miracle that I have ever seen uh, happened when uh, I was in Mexico a number of years ago. We were having a service. Obviously, it's all in Spanish, and we're English. Don't have a clue what's going on. But there's a woman sitting in the back of the room, and uh, she was just all by herself. And in the middle of the service, she she starts she's crying and she starts making noise and talking to people. And 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 pretty soon, her family is gathered around her. When we made inquiry, Grandma had never seen. She'd been blind, but in that church service, God had opened her eyes. I mean. I'm not just telling you something that I read somewhere, but something that I, that, I, that I saw. Let's talk about this in the New Testament. Now, nobody would question that Jesus and the 12 apostles healed the sick. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's unquestionable. But what I want you to see is it didn't stop there. You remember when Jesus sent out the 70 or the 72 followers? Uh, he sent them out, Luke chapter 10, verse 9. And what did he tell them? Heal the sick. He sent them out, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near, is come near to you. And the proclamation of healing was in concert with the proclamation of God's word about people coming and following Christ. And it was called a sign and a wonder that would get people's attention and they would come to Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 16, uh, these signs will accompany those who believe. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I'm a believer. Well, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus himself said, those who believe in my name, verse 18, there's a number of things, but one of the things he said, in my name they will place their hands hands on sick people and they'll get well. That's why when we pray for people in church, it's called the doctrine of the laying on of hands. It is a a a point of faith contact and a belief that the power of the Holy Spirit will touch that person's life. Now, many would say, many that are what's called cessationists, that believe that healing was for the apostolic era, or healing was limited to the first apostles, or healing uh, stopped when the Bible was canonized, long about 300 uh, 300 A.D., Uh, I want you to see that that's not the case, that it was only the apostles who healed. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Ananias, just a believer, just like you and I, he placed his hands on Saul. You remember Saul when he was knocked off his horse? He was what? Blinded. Blinded and he couldn't see. Ananias, just a believer, placed his hands on him. And he said, Jesus has sent me so you may see again. And lo and behold, he did it and Paul could see. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit 
to someone else, the one the Spirit gives the gift of healing. So what I want you to see is my starting place today, because we're going to talk about why some people aren't healed in just a second. And I fear that sometimes, because of the, of the uh, capability of modern-day medical science, and because of a frustration, because sometimes people aren't healed, that we lose our foundation. And our foundation is God is a good God. God is a healing God. And healing is a part of the basic theology of the New Testament. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right, let's go back to what we read in James now. Remember you call for the elders of the church. Elders are spiritually mature men who care for the believers in the congregation. They teach them, they cover them, they lead them. So when a person was sick, they would get on their cell phone. Okay, see, I'm not much for jokes. But they somehow... They would, they would make call, and the elders would come to them, and, and James implied these elders should be discerning in conversation, and they should have faith to heal the sick. But he didn't just limit it to the elder. Then he went on to say, all as believers, all of us, should confess our sins to one another, and we should pray for one another so we can be healed. All right? But then the question, why was oil used? You see, for example, if you, come for, if you say you're sick, somebody might say, wait just a second. And they go over and they get this little, this little bottle here. Well, this is not magic, okay? But it's anointing oil. Uh, chances are pretty good it might even come from the Holy Land. So it's a holy, holy anointing oil. But, but, but I don't care if you use Crisco. Um, anoint him in, with oil in the name of the Lord. And typically what happens in the church, there'll be a little dab on your forehead. Uh, you know, there's illustrations of anointing in the Bible when they literally poured it all over you. Now, I'm not suggesting that in church. We're not gonna, no, we're not going to pay your, your cleaning bill if that happens. Trying to <laughs> anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Let me, let me suggest two things just in my reading that, that I found. Number one, some believe that there's medicinal value in oil. Uh, if you were to go back, some ancient documents, actually there was a physician of the second century. His name was Galen. And he recommended oil as, as an, a remedy for paralysis. Uh, they would use oil for toothaches. Uh, and it's possible that James is urging the elders to come to the, the sick with both spiritual and natural resources. Some people believe this. Some denominations practice this, that oil was symbolic of a, of a medicine. So kind of the, the elder there is a, is a, is a prayer warrior, and uh, he's also kind of a doctor. I think oil uh, is a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is more consistent with the text, that the oil in and of itself is not the healing agent, but the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to heal through the prayer of faith in the name of Jesus. Now, oil, view, view the oil as, as a sacramental uh, function. For example, like when we take communion, what, what, what do we do? We take... Uh, juice that represents the blood of Christ. We take uh, bread that represents the body of Christ. And, and, and it is, it is a, it is a uh, uh, we're strengthening the grace of God. Uh, it is a point of contact experience with God. And, and similarly, the anointing with oil. But there is an unconditional promise that I don't want to escape. The prayer offered in faith, here's what James said, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. But now, if that's true, why are some people not supernaturally healed? Is that fair? 
Can any, anybody honest enough to say there was a time when I really believed this and practiced it, and every time I'd come to church, if I was sick, I'd go to the elders, but I didn't get healed, so I quit coming for prayer. Come on, can we be honest in church? Sure. Let's explore some of the reasons why, why some people are not supernaturally healed. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at five possibilities. The one that we have already talked about in James is unconfessed and unrepentant sin. Sin uh, is like a, uh, uh, your fuel line in your car. Uh, particularly when I was a boy uh, and, and, and on the farm, we would change the fuel filters regularly. Uh, even today, they change the oil and they change the fuel filter. Now the processes of refinement are better than they used to be. But as a boy, when I changed those fuel filters, it would often be filled with particles. And if you didn't change it, what would happen is it would stop up the fuel line, is it would stop the flow of fuel from coming from the tank into the engine. Those old tractors would get rust inside the tank, and that fuel filter would catch the rust, so, and it would keep it from going through. Well, again, I want to suggest to you that sin in our life is just like that, and we need to cleanse that line. We're unaware. We forget. We, 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 we think, say, well, God is loving. God is good. God loves me. God forgives me. But Corinthians says, many are weak, sick, and dying because of the sin and the way that they treated other people. This is why it's so important, I think, particularly if you're dealing with, with a long-standing problem of sickness in your life, that you endeavor to really get quiet with God, get away from your world, turn the TV off, maybe take a couple days and get close to God and say, God, is there something in my life that's stopping the flow of grace? Okay, that's one. Number two is a big one. We hear a lot about this, but a lack of faith. Matthew 17, verse 14, there was a man who knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, my son has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. What's he trying to do? This boy is trying to commit suicide. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you... First thing Jesus said is, fellas... You don't have faith. And then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left. The problem or the cause of his sickness was demonic. Their faith was not able to move him out of the way. Look at verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. So, so it was like this demonic presence carried sickness and they didn't have faith to drive it out. And I must confess, sometimes I feel I've not had faith. Are you with me? You say, well, how do we get more faith? Good question. Jesus, they asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said quite succinctly, you don't have enough faith. Best thing I can tell you, the Roman the book of Romans says, how do we get more faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why not only as we read the Bible, but as we meditate on the Bible, as we practice the Bible, it increases our faith. That's the second thing. Now, the, number, the third one is, is one that I, uh, is kind of hard to figure. Because in my equation with God is, God is good, sickness is bad, therefore I'm not supposed to have any sickness. Fair? I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul the Apostle said, I received wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, my body, a messenger of Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, the problem is we don't know what that thorn in his body or his flesh was, but I want to suggest to you a good argument could be made that he had problem with his eyes. In Galatians 9.15, if you were to go back and read, Paul would talk about... Um, uh, he, was, he would talk about how hard it was for them to hang out with him because of his physical infirmity. And then he said, if possible, you'd have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. On other occasions, Paul said, do you see what large letters, not the length of the letter, but large letters I write to you with my own hands? So, and there's other verses that suggest he had a problem with his eyes. But for sake of argument, let's say that what, what it was. But look at verse 8. Can you imagine how difficult it would be not to be able to see good? I had LASIK surgery a number of years ago. My eyesight was so bad, I couldn't see the alarm clock unless I got this close to it. And the letters were big. Uh, he said, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Is it fair to say begging is praying? Yeah. Each time God said what? My grace is all you need. My power bursts best in weakness. So there was an infirmity that God allowed Paul to stay in his life because it caused him to depend more on God and not his own self and his own spirituality. I'll just throw that out there, let you chew on it a little bit. Number four, we give up praying too soon. Some of our prayer is a battle. It could be a demonic thing. But Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always, pray. always pray and never give up. For time's sake, we're just going to leave that there. And let me give you the fifth reason. I think it's the most profound. Sometimes we just don't know. You say, where'd you get that, preacher? It's not very encouraging. Well, I'll tell you where I got it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20 Paul said these words, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Wasn't Paul the one who wrote a, a bit of our theology here about healing? Wasn't Paul the one who would go many places and supernaturally heal people? But this brother, he left sick and where there's no reason. And here's what I want to leave it with this. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes as spiritual as we are, Sometimes as discerning as we try to be, we can't just figure it out and it doesn't feel like God has shown us. And what it wants to do, it wants to test our faith. It wants to shake us and make us stop believing when the wind blows. Somehow we have to screw ourselves in the ground. Come on now. So we stand and having done all, stand. Because my relationship with God is not built on whether I'm healed or not. Are you with me today? My relationship with God stands no matter what happens around me. Let me, let, me, let me close with this. Uh, can a Christian see a doctor then, based on what we, we, we read? Well, yes. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Paul told Timothy, don't drink only water. Now, mind you, their water was not purified like it is today. Okay? It, it, they would have gunk in the water, bacteria, and you'd get sick. What did he say? Drink a little wine. wine. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. He's not saying, let's go have a big party and all get drunk. But he's saying, you've got a stomach problem. You're sick so often. Now, here's something that's always plagued me. Why did this man that obviously had the gift of healing, why didn't he heal his spiritual son? 
Why didn't he just lay hands on him and pray for him? Why didn't he stir the gift of healing? Why didn't he have enough faith? Why did he just tell him to take some wine? Perhaps his prescription came from his traveling companion, Dr. Luke. Paul did not quote scripture, but he gave him a prescription for the body to heal itself. And that's what doctors do. They're trained to help the body heal itself. It's okay to go to doctors, but go to God first. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. All right, let's wrap this up. I, 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 I know that created a lot of questions, so go ahead. If you want to add something to it, just send me an email at lanel.miller.churchontherock.org. Hey, uh, let's close with the last verse, uh, verse 19. Uh, helping backslidden believers find their way back to God. One last verse. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. And that's the last thing James said in his book. Now, what is this? It is the call for the local church community to take responsibility for members who backslide. Uh, backsliding, what does that mean? They could turn away from Jesus in totality. Maybe they just stop fellowshipping. That's one of the great, great problems. Listen, I am thrilled we're able to engage in people's living rooms and on their cars through the live stream. I am thrilled that people are turning in and watching. But the fellowship is irreplaceable. You know, I, I, listen, I have good, God, I have good friends that, that have physical problems, and they said, Pastor, my doctor just doesn't want me getting out yet, and I just, I don't do it. I said, listen, I understand, don't feel guilty, just, but stay with it. But I know other people that used to fellowship and have just quit coming to church and don't even watch online anymore. Are you with me today? We've fallen away. Uh, stop fellowship. Some people, when they follow it, they go back into the world, or some people go into error. They're believing the, 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 the wrong things, things that are not true. This is what James is talking about. James says when they're restored, they're saved from death. It could be physical death, or a lot of the commentators I read talked about a spiritual death. An eternal consequence for sin. Whatever the case is, bottom line though, we're supposed to look for our brothers and sisters, come on, when, 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 when they slip away from the fellowship. And if the Holy Spirit's bringing anybody to your mind right now, just ask the Lord right now, Lord, is there somebody? I want you to take it on yourself to reach out to them in the name of the Lord. I'll close with this thought. Our attitude when we're restoring someone, let's in particular take someone that's gone back in the world, Galatians 6.1 if, uh, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. In other words, we're not supposed to be looking down our nose at them. We're not supposed to, you know, tell them they're dirty, rotten sinners. We're just supposed to put our arm around them and tell them, look, God loves you and I love you. Let's just get back in fellowship. But you didn't know what I just did. God knows what you did and God knows what I've done. But aren't you glad that God is a merciful God? Aren't you glad God is a forgiving God? Come on, don't let the devil beat you up. Don't let the devil condemn you. And if they're in the cesspool, come on, if they're in the mire of sin, get real with them and say, look, are, can you honestly tell me you're happier now? 
the way you're living your life than the way you used to? Are you happier now getting up after you've gone out and partied all night? Do you remember who you slept with last night? Do you remember how many people you slept with last night? Are, do you like living that way? Do you, do, you, uh, do you like the lifestyle that you're living? Do you like the fact that it takes a drug to help you with the drug that you just took? Why don't you come back to Jesus? There's a better way. See, this is what we do, and it's saving people from death. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's, he's worthy, worthy of our praise. Listen, as we close the book of James, I leave you with this thought. If there's one verse that I think is the number one verse in James, it's verse chapter 122. It says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a what? Be a doer. And that's my prayer for you today, that you and I will truly be wise people who know, who know God's word, and we do it. Come on, Jesus is the one who's worthy. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? And uh, I want to just close in, in, in prayer today. Uh, I, I'm going to ask all of our elders that are here and all of our prayer team, uh, if you'll make your way to the front, and, and I'm going to ask anyone that's sick tonight, if you want to have hands laid upon you and pray for a miracle to come in some part of your life, uh, I'm going to ask that our elders are here and that our prayer team is here. They've been commissioned to pray. But as they're coming, I want you to bow your head just a second. And we talked about a lot of things today. And I want us to just take just a moment with the Holy Spirit. Just bow your head just a second. And again, I want to ask the question as I always do. What did the Holy Spirit say to you tonight? Maybe it's where we started. Remember about swearing and taking oaths? And it said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. M maybe your struggle has been with telling the truth. Maybe you were raised to get out of situations by lying and to try to get what you want by lying. But today you want to ask the Lord to forgive you. But not only forgive you, but help you to be a person of integrity. Help you to be a person who tells the truth. Holy Spirit, many of us are saying that right now. All of us should be asking that you help, our, help us be men of our word. Help us keep our word to our children. Help us keep our word to, to everyone. Lord, we talked about what to do when we're in trouble. Perhaps when trouble comes, prayer is not the first thing we do. It's the second or third thing we do. And I want to pray tonight that you'd forgive me for seeking answers in other places first. Forgive me, Lord, if I have relied on my own self, my ability, my capacity, instead of relying on the Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me if I've not paused to sing songs of praise when things are going well. When something good happened, Lord, I want to start that as a habit tonight. I want to be a praiser. Lord, I want to pray right now for any that are backslidden, any that are away from the fellowship. I want to pray that, number one, that you find that person. Maybe you're listening on the live stream. And you've gotten away from God. Let me ask you, just as brother to brother, someone that loves you, says that the grace of God is extended to you just like it extends to me. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I struggle. But I go to God. I don't go to away, away from God. And I want to encourage you, friend, run to Him and not run away from Him. 
But Lord, and let's ask the Lord right now. Lord, is there someone that's gotten away from you that we know personally and you want us to reach out to? Just settle that on our heart now, I pray in, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our, our, our service this way. Uh, we're going to have one last song. And during this song, uh, or after the song, if you need personal prayer for anything, I'm going to invite you to come. All our ministry team, they've got a mask there. We're going to still try to do our best with that. Uh, if you've got one, bring it with you. When we dismiss, we've got two doors up front, two out back. I want to ask everyone when you leave, please wear your mask. Do like both governors have asked. We want to be uh, submissive uh, civil, civil servants as well. But uh, uh, when you leave, if you're a guest, there's a, a, if you stop in the lobby, there's a little information table there. They'll give you a gift, information about our church. If you've got your offering or your tithe to bring, there'll be buckets, of course, at the front and the back. But this prayer time can be very meaningful. We're going to believe God as we proclaim God's word today. The prayer of faith will save the sick. They'll heal the sick. And as he said, if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. But I also want to ask you today, if you're here today and say, Pastor, my greatest need today is simply to get right with God. If you're here today and you've looked at the cross and the cross reminds you of what Jesus did. Friend, the simple Christian message is this. All of us have sinned. The fact that we've sinned separated us from God. And one day sin will bring judgment in our life. But the good news is Jesus can forgive our sins and give us a brand new start. How many can say I've experienced that brand new start? Raise your hand. I've been born again and Jesus has changed my life. Well, you know what? It happened when you came to the, a realization that I'm away from God and I need to get right with God. And the way it happens for most people is you just come and you pray. Ask for God's forgiveness and commit to follow Him. If that's you today, and you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God, I want you to let us pray for you. You might have never prayed to commit your life to Christ, or maybe you're a Christian and has just gotten away from God, and you want to come back to God today. Either one, if you want to get right with God, I'm going to ask you to come up and see this man, or Pastor Mike, come on up here. These two men right here on our front, if you'll just come and talk to them, they'll pray with you. Uh, 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 to get your life right with Christ and they'll give you something to help you in your spiritual journey. Go ahead and begin to sing our last song. You need prayer for anything in particular healing. Our altars are open. If you want to get right with Christ, they'll be here for prayer. I love you and thanks for coming.